Welcome to Clothes Horse, the podcast that just can't stop ruining things for you. (laughs) I'm your host, Amanda. Today is part two of our conversation with Meredith, a technical designer and all-around expert on fit and sizing. Today we'll be talking about fit models, the fitting process, it's arduous, and most importantly, what is wrong with the extended sizing landscape out there? I mean, they're getting it so wrong. Did you know that only 8% of brands offer extended sizing? But meanwhile, 67% of U.S. women buy plus-size clothing. Like, come on, guys. I can't believe you're being so stupid. Ah. Before we get into our convo with Meredith, I did kind of want to ruin another thing for you. <laughs> faux fur. Yes, that's right. Today, I'm going to ruin faux fur for you. It was first introduced on the market in 1929. And early faux furs were made of alpaca hair, which sounds pretty warm and cozy to me. But in general, customers were pretty unhappy with the quality and hand fill. The true modern fake furs, like we know now today, were not developed until the mid-1950s with the introduction of acrylic polymers as replacements for alpaca hair. If you recall from previous episodes, the 1940s and 50s were like the golden era of synthetic fiber research and development. You can already see where this is going, can't you? (laughs) Like its cousin, vegan leather, aka pleather, faux fur was considered trashy, cheap, unstylish even for years and years. But also, like its buddy, vegan leather, It has enjoyed a never-before-seen increase in popularity in the last decade. Even the highest-end designers like Versace and Gucci, and I mean, they're all out there, Dries, I'm pretty sure, is doing it, they've included it in their lines and runway shows in the past few years. And, of course, it's trickled down into every brand and retailer in one form or another. It's not even seen as something exclusively, like, cheap, Because you can buy faux fur coats that are well over $1,000, probably over $10,000. These coats have a nicer hand feel than, say, the $50 version you can buy at Forever 21, but they're still essentially the same when you get down to brass tacks. And that is, they're made of plastic. Yep, that's right. Faux fur is plastic. Okay, let me drop some science on you. Faux furs are typically made from synthetic polymeric fibers such as acrylic, modacrylic, and or polyester, all of which are essentially forms of plastic. These fibers are made from chemicals derived from coal, air, water, petroleum, and limestone. The raw materials of faux fur begin as plastic pellets that are melted down and then spun into fibers, not unlike cotton candy. In fact, kind of like cotton candy, kind of really a lot like cotton candy, but like a really gross cotton candy. I hope I'm not ruining this taste sensation for anyone right now. You can have as much cotton candy as you want. The fibers are then woven through a fabric backing, which is almost always synthetic as well. So what does this mean? Well, like most plastics, faux fur is not biodegradable. It will sit in a landfill for 1,000 years or more, And this is a good time to point out that scientists don't actually know for certain if plastics break down in 1,000 years because, well, 
We've only been studying plastics for a few decades. Remember, the middle of the last century was the golden era of developing them. So they haven't even been around for 100 years. So no one has really truly been able to time the process. When you say a 1,000 years, you may as well assume eternity because, like I said, no one really knows. If you've ever owned a faux fur coat, then you know it sheds. And what it sheds is tiny little microfibers of plastic because, after all, faux fur is plastic. Well, what happens to these? They make their way to the ocean via wind, rain, sewers, and rivers. Even more plastic in our ocean. And maybe you're thinking, oh, it's just one little faux fur coat. Like, what's the big deal? Sure, your individual coat may not seem like a huge problem, but now think of the millions of faux fur coats that have been made in the last decade. Are you picturing them? It's a pretty big pile, right? Go back to another decade. Go back another decade. So now we're looking at 20 years. Picture them piling up. Literally a mountain of plastic. And remember, faux fur has been around since the middle of the last century. Like how big is that mountain of faux fur coats? It's going to be sitting in the landfill for at least another millennium. Millions upon millions upon millions of tiny microfibers have been shed by those coats over the years, and they're now somewhere in our ocean. Disgusting, right? And you know what else? Faux fur isn't actually that warm, and it doesn't allow the skin to breathe because, you know, it's plastic. But you know why retailers love faux fur? Oh, they just love it because it's so cheap. Even when you're buying that $1,000 faux fur coat, a $300 faux fur coat, I want you to keep in mind that synthetic fabric is so cheap. So what we're really helping all of these brands do is they try to be more, quote, sustainable, which they're not, is we're really helping them make more of a profit off of selling us outerwear. Also, I forgot to add this. <laughs> Think about all the faux fur used on winter hats, gloves, scarves, throw pillows as collars on jackets. I think I've seen some faux fur blankets out there. I'm probably missing some other categories here. Faux fur purses. I mean, see, I could go on and on. That's all faux fur too. That's all plastic. And one more thing I just want to point out, or maybe you haven't heard about this. There have been numerous instances in recent years of real actual animal fur being sold as faux fur. Don't even get me started there. <laughs> I have to say it. I have serious problems with real fur. I don't think any animals should be killed for fashion, so I don't think buying a real fur coat is a better alternative. And if you disagree, that's that's okay. Then you can buy a real fur coat. I do, however, think it's okay to buy a vintage fur coat if you're going to care for it, because that could keep you warm for your entire life, and you could even pass it on to your children and grandchildren. But once again, you're going to need to care for it. So what do I think here? Well, for one, please, please do not buy any new faux fur, no matter how trendy it's supposed to be. It's okay to buy it secondhand because, I mean, God knows it's going to be around for a thousand years, so let's use it as much as possible. And sort of brushing it regularly, I know that sounds silly, but if you had a Barbie brush, it'd be really effective. <laughs> it will allow you to catch those loose fibers and dispose of them responsibly. But once again, please do not buy new faux fur because that encourages the industry to continue making more. In general, I don't think we need a closet full of winter coats either. I'm thinking maybe a puffer for super cold weather, a regular warm coat for work, errands, etc. And then maybe 
a dressier coat for events like church and special occasions, but that's it. We shouldn't be buying a new coat or coats uh, every year. We went from buying a good coat that would last a decade or more to buying multiple coats and jackets every year. Why? Because outerwear became a trend, according to the fashion industry. Oh, yes. I've been in the meetings. I've said it myself. There was faux fur, neons, embellishment, lengths and silhouettes, hoods, not hoods, different collars and button details, all of which we should embrace as hot and stylish. So we bought more and more. And you know what? The quality got worse and worse and the coats didn't last as long, but we didn't care because we had already moved on to the new thing. So we threw them out. I mean, they were essentially non-repairable, so why donate them? Or we might say, that coat was only 90 bucks, like who cares? Well, unfortunately, at the same time, coats also became more and more synthetic. So while they fell apart from a few months of wear, they'll be lingering in the landfills emitting toxic chemicals for generations upon generations. I've been thinking a lot about selfishness and selflessness in relation to the greater good. The differences have become so stark and defined in the era of COVID. From a non-fashion perspective, for example, you know, we've got people having birthday parties while others cannot see their dying parents and grandparents in the hospital. Others go to known hotspots like Florida or Mexico just for fun or because their birthday is more important than anyone else's safety. How about people who do international travel just because they need a vacation? What about dinner parties and road trips and romantic getaways because not commemorating a special occasion for just one time far overshadows the health of the greater good, the greater good of protecting the vulnerable people of the world, the elderly, the sick. I've been saying for a while that you can really see the hearts of the people in our lives by watching their behavior right now. When I see this kind of stuff happening, I get depressed, sad, angry, everything about the future of our world. I mean, because will people give up a new outfit every weekend? Will they give up vegan leather and faux fur? Will they give up constant consumption when they know it's so bad for both the climate and the people making these clothes and coats? I just don't know, you know? When I'm having a bad day, I just don't know. I have to remind myself that we are building a movement. I already see more and more people talking about ending fast fashion on social media. Honestly, it seems like I see more people every week. And this makes me feel like we can do this. That if we change our ways and spread the word to others, then maybe we can make it happen. It begins with us, but it ends with enough people on board to force change within the big corporations and brands. Or maybe we just drive them out of business. And you know what? I wouldn't be mad about that either. We can do this. We won't give money to assholes. We'll take a deep look at ourselves, our consumption, and our socially programmed desires to buy more and more and more. We'll change our ways. We'll wear the same outfit all the time on Instagram. And you know what? We'll be super proud about it. We'll buy secondhand. We'll view the people who make our clothes as actual humans with the same dreams and needs that we have, and we will want better for them. We'll support emerging brands and designers that do things the right way, and we will loudly, super loudly, 
change our ways, and bring others along for the ride. We can do this. We can do this. Okay. Well, take a deep breath. Let's get into the episode with Meredith. Let's talk about how things are fit. How do we fit a garment? Because it's it's an odyssey. It's a yes. process. It's a journey. I like the word odyssey. That is that's <laughs> very accurate. Um, I often feel like I'm conducting a symphony as I'm going through the fit process. It's a lot of pulling together of things and people and ideas. Um, but you kind of touched on it a little bit ago. Um, when you, When a brand decides, all right, we're going to make this new style. Mm-hmm. A bunch of departments get together and decide on all the details. So you have design who should be coming up in theory with the concept, the idea, the vision. Mm-hmm. You have the buying team that's like, hey, you know, I know you want this vision, but this is how it's going to fit into our line plan. Can you please add Make sure you add pockets and make sure that it's in this silhouette because we see this as being something that's going to be really important this year. And Mm -hmm. then you have your um, product development team who is helping find the fabrications, but also keeping cost in mind. And then you have, uh, you know, the redheaded stepchild department, which is the technical design department. We kind of, <laughs> we're like there, we're there, but we're like not there. We're like in the shadows. Most people don't know we exist. So uh, the technical design team, we're here to ensure that your garments fit you the best we can possibly fit you. Um, obviously we, we try our best every single time. Sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss, but we do our best. Well, I mean, there's Um, so many people involved. You know what I mean? Like you could come up with the best tech pack on earth and the best grading and everything. And it's really up to the factory to execute it. Yes. Yes. I like being able to put blame on the factory at all times. (laughs) (laughs) No, I... Now I now I work at a domestic factory, so unfortunately, like I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be able to blame everyone else but myself. But, um, <laughs> but yes, when you're doing primarily overseas, there's a lot of people involved. Like, if I always let people know when when you have your T-shirt, like think of your favorite T-shirt. It's a basic T-shirt, right? It just has mm-hmm. a neckband, two two sleeves, and a body. Okay, how many people touched that T-shirt? Oh my God, no, it's it's crazy because someone cut out the fabric, right? Well, first Mm -hmm. off, someone made the fabric. Someone dyed the fabric. Someone designed, like go all the way back. Like think of all the people that touched it in the company before you even made it to the factory. I mean, there was a concept, then there were sketches. Meetings and meetings and meetings and more meetings. So much hemming and hawing about (sighs) what is this t-shirt? What, how does it fit into our assortment? You know? Yes. Uh, there were swatches of fabrics, you know. Yes, swatches. There were tears. Um, maybe a free lunch. I don't know. It, a lot goes into these initial meetings and, <laughs> and ideas. And uh, it's the technical design department's job to take all of this information and build a tech pack. So a tech pack is a technical package, and it's essentially a blueprint 
for a style. So I like to tell people when you get Ikea furniture and it has that awesome, you know, well, I think it's awesome, a line drawing of the object that you're about to build and it has the dimensions and it has Mm -hmm. all the, as much information uh, as possible on how to put it together. That is essentially what a tech pack is. So we take this concept, maybe the design team sketch it out by hand, or you're working off of tears from a magazine and you're <laughs> true Frankensteining things together. Like I want this sleeve. I want this body. I want to use this fabric. So you kind of take all that information and sometimes it's our job to say like, I know you want to do this, but Hey, you forgot how to get inside this garment. <laughs> Do you have a zipper? Do you have buttons? That's happened <laughs> more times than I can think. It's our job to kind of reality check everybody and say, I know you want all these things, but maybe this fabric isn't the best idea or we should change the style line to uh, provide a better fit, things like that. So we compile all the information. We kind of go back and forth with all the different departments. um, And then we create this technical package in addition to a very pretty line drawing that calls out how the garment is constructed. So what types of sewing operations is the factory supposed to use on this garment and where? Uh, There's also information like what trims are going into this style. We call it a bill of materials. So it lists the fabric, it lists the trims, it lists any kind of special wash process. Anything that goes into the garment goes on this bill of materials. And then the bread and butter of the tech pack is the spec sheet. So what is this going to measure? How do you want this garment to come out, right? Mm -hmm. We're giving guidance to the factory to say, okay, you're looking at all our pretty pictures, our design inspo, all these swatches we're sending you. But now we need you to take that and we need to make sure that it hits this length. It hits this chest width. It hits the sleeve length. All of that information comes from your lovely technical design department. And just as we were talking before, this is kind of where fit can change a lot, right? It all comes from those measurements. So if we take this t-shirt that we sold last year and we said, okay, this is a great t-shirt, but for this year, we're going to change the sleeve to a flutter sleeve and we're going to use a self neckband instead of a rib neckband, you know, really change it up. Um, (laughs) But we want it to fit overall the same. Well, okay. If your friendly technical designer sits down and they're like, okay, whatever. Like I didn't really like this t-shirt. I didn't think it was that great. Um, So, you know, I'm going to change a few more things. Something as little as like adjusting the chest spec can change the fit dramatically. So, so like, you know, I'm here to represent all my techies out there, but you know, there's a lot of bad apples. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you know, your tech designer might be a little pissed off at the designer. Maybe you guys got mm-hmm. in a fight. And I mean, I've really seen care. it. I've seen it. Oh, it happens. Listen, it happens. It definitely happens. It's not the best case, but it does. So just watch out. You know, we wield a lot of power. It might be silent in the shadows, but we can uh, have a lot of say in, <laughs> in how your garment comes out. So be Threatening. Nice. Threatening. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you have to do it. These measurements are are what the factory should be referencing when they're making the first sample. So once you send all this information over to the factory, you might have a pattern for them to reference as well, or, you know, especially in this t-shirt case, right? Hey, Mm -hmm. we did that t-shirt last year. We made it with you. Can you please reference that pattern and just make these adjustments? So in a perfect world, that factory would take all this information, consume it, 
and pop back out a, what we would call a proto sample. So a prototype, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's the first time we're seeing it, we, we it's, know. It's usually not good. It's usually very bad. Um, so, you know, sometimes I've been pleasantly surprised where I'm like, you took this information and actually like spit this garment out. Like a lot of times they look great. You know, you see them on the hanger. You're like, wow, it actually looks really good. And then you get it on a body and you're like, uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like sometimes you're literally cutting them apart to fit oh. them on the model. I think that's really important to call out too. Like, this is not the final garment. It's going to be cut up. It's going to be safety mm-hmm. pinned. It's mm-hmm. going to all all kinds of things are going to happen to it. Uh, I am notorious for cutting fit samples. Um, I have <laughs> quite the reputation. Sometimes at, at bigger brands, you can get multiple samples, right? So you can share with different departments um, as you go through the process, you know, uh, buying might need something for a style out and design needs to reference it for the next season. So when you, if you only have one sample, if you work at a smaller company and you're only getting one proto sample, uh, you can come under a lot of heat for kind of dismembering that. And I was definitely the queen of doing that because <laughs> that's how the garment talks to me. That's how it tells me what it needs is I have to open it up and, and really get in there. Um, mm-hmm. and so I kind of had a, a reputation for that, but, um, when the proto comes in, you're always evaluating it on a body. So you have a fit model mm-hmm. and this fit model is what we call your base size. So, and I was thinking about this earlier, you know, most base sizes for women's wear is a size small. Mm-hmm. So you fit on a size small and you you standardize the fit there. And then before it goes into production, you make the pattern bigger and smaller with your grade rule to determine what a size small is going to be, what a size uh, extra large is going to be. It gets bigger and smaller from that core size. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we then fit on a size medium or large <laughs> if we, it, you know, you, you think you'd want something like in the middle, right? You'd want right. something where you'd have this even nice grade down and up. Well, it's never done that way. And most of the time it's because the way that the buyers, the designers, um, the chief executives, the way that clothing has been and probably will for a long time, um, the way it's been analyzed is on a smaller size, right? It's always like it needs to look cute on the hanger, especially if you're doing wholesale, mm-hmm. right? Gotta mm-hmm. look cute on the hanger. It's, uh, if it's not cute, like, uh, we can't show it, you know? It's, if you <laughs> can't hang it on a hanger and it looks amazing, then, you know, we can't do it. So they don't want to have these samples in bigger sizes for that reason. Isn't that a horrible? We're also talking about like – we're literally talking about the difference between a small and a medium here, mm-hmm. which yes. is not very much, depending no. on your grading rules. Uh, it's it, uh, the whole industry makes me so angry. Well, it's it's weird. When I did juniors clothing, our fit size was a medium, mm-hmm. and I don't know why, but it was. And at that company I was working, we had our own in-house. Um, brand that we sold, like we private labeled out to people, but also we worked with big retailers like Target 
and Target's uh, fit size was a size medium for juniors. So there are some companies that do it a little differently. I don't know exactly why juniors kind of falls into that, but for women's wear, it is a small. And this is another thing to consider with fit models. So if we go back to, to mod cloth as an example, right, we were talking about the difference between a junior's fit and a woman's fit. Now we always had the regular size range. So alpha, small, medium, large. And when we did have numeric, it was two, four, six. It was never um, odd numbers. Right. But initially, and probably for the time that you were there, we had more of a junior's fit, right? It was a little smaller on the small side. Definitely. Definitely. Everybody, and I know we're going to talk about this later, we're going to talk about customer reviews and how we use them, but it was always (laughs) the same thing. My boobs don't fit in this dress, like always, no, right? The and fit that model had no boobs, so. right? <laughs> and 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 I I think it's important to say that like fit models, like when they're getting hired by the brand, the brand is literally is like, here are the specs we want your body to have, right? Uh huh. Yep. You might call yourself a size small and fit into most size small clothes perfectly fine. You might not fit what that company wants a size small to be. So, exactly. So at Nasty Gal, for example, somewhere along the line, there had been a decision made that they wanted the bo- the ideal Nasty Gal body type to mirror the body type of the founder, Sophia, which meant, <laughs> I know, so small up top with wider hips. And, uh-huh. and along with that, the decision had been made that we didn't, and when I say we, I do not mean me, I mean right, we, the company, did yeah. not really want to be in the business of making tops that would accommodate over a C cup. So (laughs) the grading for chest was super strange too, because we still carried up to a size large or an extra large, which you would think at that point, a D, a double D could without a doubt fit into. And that just wasn't the case. If it was a dress, it was still going to be small up top by the time you got to the extra large, Mm -hmm. but would Mm -hmm. be a lot, a lot wider in the hips, you know? And so (laughs) again, I guess, I guess that would be what we would call like a pear shape, right? Like we were basically... We were targeting a pear shape. I remember at some point at ModCloth, we had made the decision that we were going to go after, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, a more hourglass-shaped figure. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that what we at some point decided? Yeah, especially with um, the plus-size line, which we'll we'll, we'll get into the nitty-gritty on that, but we definitely were fitting more of an hourglass shape. And with the the reg-size range, originally it was more of a junior's fit, and then we started kind of close to when I left, we started shifting to a contemporary fit. So our fit model, like size small, went from like a really, really small juniors, flat juniors to like we transitioned out of that fit model. Then we were still kind of fitting within the same size range, but our fit model had a chest and was a little bit more hourglass, wasn't as straight um, Mm -hmm. as the previous fit model. And then when I left, that's when like our size small Uh, Like the size small clothing we had been making before that, before we changed fit models, would not fit the new fit model that we were getting, who we were also calling a size small. So you see the problem here? (laughs) Right. No, it's it's true. It's true. I mean, it's like, and once again, then you order from mod cloth because you don't know this is going on and then you can't even zip up the dress and you're like, Mm -hmm. what's wrong with me? You feel shitty all day and you don't eat dinner and like, no, 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 no. That's... It has nothing to do with you. It's so random. It's not you. And I wish, I mean, I think one way that this could be a better experience for customers is to be really forthright. Hey, 
we realized that the way we were fitting this wasn't right for our customers. We listened to you. We changed how we fit. Here's what we changed. Check out the chart. Your size has probably changed. You know, just be very clear. But while some brands are actively changing grading in order to serve their customer better, most of them are not. I mean, once again, like this fit at Nasty Gal was so arbitrary. Like, why would you do that? Well, now with all this information, I feel like I should have been shopping at Nasty Gal this whole time. Everything would have fit me great. (laughs) It was. I don't think I ever bought anything. So weird. And I would laugh all the time thinking about this plan that we weren't going to go over a C cup for tops. Tops was one of the categories I managed. That's how I was in these fit sessions Mm -hmm. being part of this conversation. And I was like, uh, you know, didn't somebody do a bunch of consumer insights that said a lot of our customers have breast implants? Well, most of them are not going to the doctor and being like, put some C's on this. Everyone's going for a D. Am I right? Like, (laughs) yes. yes. (laughs) So what are we doing? (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. This, I mean, I love, I love and hate hearing stories like this because it is very rampant across everything. Um, when I was at Lucky Brand, the, guy god he wasn't there very long but we had kind of like the senior vp of production he would come by and try to put on men's fit samples which were a size medium and he was not a medium uh he was not like an overly large gentleman but he definitely was not a size medium so he would put these mediums on and then he would complain about the fit and we would just look at each other like, man, don't you get it? Like, this is not your, this is not your size. Like you should like, and he would just take, he would, he would basically look at us like we were crazy. Like, why isn't this fitting me? And we would just be looking at him like, because you're, excuse me, sir, because you are not, you're not a medium. Like, I'm sorry. Are you sitting down? Are you sitting down? This shouldn't fit you, but you can have like, as like something like that, where it's just one person who's like, well, everything must fit me because I'm important. Oh, yeah. I've worked so many places um, and, yeah. and I must be the size small, you know? I mean, uh-huh. and this still goes yep. on. Like there's a lot of controversy on the on the interwebs right now with all these influencers who have fashion lines, which, by the way, they're just licensed. Mm-hmm. These people are not designing the clothes. Okay. But I have, this is what I do for okay, a living. Okay, now, so, so you know, you're dealing with like different influencers. So I will tell you that uh, some of the influencers that have been getting a lot of heat right now, uh, one of them is We Wore What. And I know you don't work for this mm-hmm. company because they're based in New York. Um, but she uh, she wants her to be, herself to be the size small. She's not. She's like, well, what we tr- traditionally would think of as a size small, she's like a size eight to right. 10. And uh, she yes. wants to be the size small. She also photoshops herself down to look like like a double zero. So customers are having really negative experiences shopping because they're like, well, she says she's a small, but she looks like she doesn't even weigh 100 pounds. I would Mm -hmm. normally be a small, but I must be a medium or a large because I'm so much bigger than her. Uh, So they're getting them. And then the clothes are humongous, right? And so there's just like a lot of unhappiness there. I feel like I've had to diffuse a lot of conversations on Reddit where people are confused about this and be like, this is what's going on. This is what you need to do. Look at the size chart, measure your body. (laughs) The same thing I tell everyone. And so like ignore her, her Photoshopping is really bad. (laughs) Yes. It's uh, I can. Okay. This is so, this is really just hitting home right now. So many ways you have no idea because so much of this 
is this way now, right? Where influencers or, or people of notoriety are putting out their own <laughs> brands. Um, you know, that's kind of what's happening. That's what's making money these days. This is mm-hmm. the world we live in. It's, mm-hmm. it's Instagram world. You know, for the most part, people are super clueless about size. So if you put it in their court of like, okay, well, what size do you want to call this? It really sets them up for failure in that way, right? Where you have these customers that are like, wait a second, no, like there's no way. Like if she's a small, then I have to be like a triple XL. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just, so really what what needs to happen around those people and, and what we have been trying to do at our company is kind of guide everyone towards using a fit model and kind of standardized <laughs> sizing because we're like, if you're trying to fit the masses and, and get all of your followers to buy the stuff and be happy with it, then you should think about actually doing it the way everyone else does it. Um, instead of just being like, all right, I'm fitting on myself. Like this is, this is how it is. Like I am the size everyone else's whatever. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, as, as stuff like this becomes more prevalent, we have more industry people who are going to be involved to help them along. But until that happens, there's going to be a lot of that, just a lot of that. Totally, totally. And, you know, something that I did not know until I worked in the industry is that being a fit model is actually a skilled job. Like, yes. You assume when you hear that that word that basically a person is coming in and they are acting as a mannequin. And it's yeah, it's so much more. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, um, first of all, if you do find yourself to be a fit model, um, congratulations. It's uh, (laughs) it is a tough job. You do drive a lot around a lot, but you do get paid very well. Yes, yes. when you're casting a fit model, you reach out to a model agency who offers fit model services. But most of the time, these are just basically their same models that they send out for print and whatnot. But they um, decide like, okay, well, this girl isn't getting a lot of work. So we're going to see if she can get some fit model jobs. So I have been through many, many castings where models have come through. They say they have experience, but in reality, they've just done one catalog shoot and they think that that's the same thing. And you can tell how awkward they are, even just within the the time frame of when you measure a model. So the the model comes in, you know what measurements you want them to be around. Then you go through and you measure that model to see where they are at based on your standards. So you start measuring them and you ask them to point to something like their apex, which is uh, for those of you that don't know, you're, like basically your nipples, right? The the apex of your bust, the highest point of the curve. Um, and they look at you like you're from Mars. But this is a very common term within the industry in the biz. So it's always funny. You can always spot uh, an, a novice fit model if they don't know what the apex is when you ask them to point to it. Um, or when you're measuring their their total rise, a seasoned fit model knows what's going to go on. You're going to take that tape measure and they're going to hold it in the front. You're going to walk it through their legs all the way up to the other side. So anyone that's been through model castings for fit models have done this before. And it's always really funny when you have an inexperienced fit model come through and they're like, wait, I'm sorry, what? And you're like, all right, I'm going to need you to hold this and I'm going to guide this through your legs. Not awkward at all. And pull it all the way up through your crotch on the other side. Um, but it is like it, it, I. It is a very skilled job, right? It's a it's a fine balance between 
knowing when to give feedback, knowing when to hold back. Like fittings are very dynamic. There's a lot of politics involved. You have a lot of personalities. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of viewpoints. So a good fit model reads the room, right? Reads (laughs) the room. They know what's up. They know, okay, I'm trying on the sample. It's a PP sample. I look at the tag. Okay, the the delivery date is like next month. So this thing has to be had to be approved yesterday. So if mm-hmm. I'm a good fit model, I'm looking at the tag. I'm like, I'm in my mind analyzing, not saying out loud, like, okay, this is a PP sample. In my mind, I'm like, okay, this needs to be approved. So I know I'm going to give feedback, especially if it's something very important, like, oh, hey, I can't move my arms, right? I'm going to say that. But maybe there's something like very, very small that I might just whisper to the tech when I'm taking it off. Like, hey, by the way, like the button fell off or, you know, something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm reading the room. I know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of important people in this fitting and I don't want to drag it on. And I know this needs to be approved. So you have to have a lot of knowledge of the fit process, of the people involved, of what needs to happen when and why. So good fit models, they are a rare breed, but the good ones, you know the good ones. They have all the work, so it's hard to, to nail them down, but they, they know what they're mm-hmm. talking about because you have to be part therapist, you have to be a mediator, you have to be a f- best friend, you have to be enemy, you have to be a lot of things on top of trying on really uncomfortable clothes, being prodded maybe your bra strap gets cut when someone takes scissors to it it's not happened to me but i I know Mm -hmm. people it's happened to before Uh, (laughs) you know you you get pushed and prodded and poked and it's not like what they make is great money but they definitely earn that money because it's it's not um you could be standing for hours some fit sessions go all day and you're just standing and trying clothes on and being poked and prodded and moved and, you know, and maybe the room's really hot and you're trying on a polyester mm-hmm. dress for Christmas in the middle of July. Like it's not glamorous at all, but those good fit models, no. man, oh, those good ones, they're keepers. Yeah. We had a great one at Nasty Gow and she was so smart and so helpful and just like gave the best feedback. And she felt like a member of the team, not some like rando that we'd brought in. I mean, just, just incredible. And she was always working somewhere. Yeah, exactly. It's hard. Uh, there's a, a guy that we just brought into our company as we're starting to standardize fittings, um, within our own organization, I called on a guy that I know from Lucky Brand and we had our dress form was a scan of his body. Like he went and got his body scanned and the dress form was his body. It had his name on it. Wow. Yeah. But he was at the time and still today, he fit for all the major denim brands. Like he was OG. He started fitting in the early aughts and just was the body. So I call him the body (laughs) because he really is. He really is the body, you know? And like we had a dress form with his freaking name on it. Like he was the body. So these people are really important. And these people are the ones who kind of paved the way for how your clothes fit. So they definitely deserve the respect. The good ones deserve your respect. They're real true gems when you find a good one. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And once again, highly skilled labor. Yes, definitely. 
Okay, so let's talk about, we touched on this, how brands use reviews to make fit better. Because this, I mean, more than any place I've worked, this is what we did at ModCloth. Like we listened to reviews more than ever. But I think that we started a trend where other retailers were like, oh shit, we just can't keep churning out stuff that doesn't fit anyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, dang. It just can't happen in the shadows anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like online reviews are like a blessing and a curse, right? Like you can easily have one style that gets the very first review is a one-star review and all it says is, I didn't like it. One and, star. and you know what? No one will ever buy it because what yes. I've learned as a buyer that is one of those things that just drives me insane is that nobody reads the copy that tells you like runs a size small or no. this doesn't have pockets or, you know, what, I don't know, this is a two-piece or you have to wear a slip, whatever. No one mm-hmm. reads that, but they all read the reviews or at least the yes. first one that's one star and then no one ever buys it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And there's so many times where too, like let's say it was a really important style, right? This was like a deep buy for the season. Yeah. And you as a buyer, you're on the website and you see that you're going you're gonna to come over to me and be like, uh, can I see what this TOP looks like? Because the one and only review we have is negative and this uh, is not good, right? And you can't so, delete it. It's illegal to delete no. a review. I mean, I'm sure people I mean, do it, but you're, you're not supposed to. If only, right? Yeah. If only. Um, yeah, you can't do that. And unfortunately it's there. And sometimes the, like I said, the reviews have, have no real feedback. It's just like, mm, I don't like it. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And it's one star. And then people are like, Oh, I shouldn't buy this, but it can cause like a huge problem, right? Like let's say you, you are the buyer, you, you're kind of freaking out. Like all of a sudden the one review we have is one star. Sometimes the, the, the red flag gets raised very quickly within an organization where you have to kind of pull the TOP, pull the fit samples, look Mm -hmm. at the history, what happened. Like, let's say we had two reviews in a row that were calling out that they couldn't get their head through the the garment, which has happened. Um, I mean, I've, I've bought things like that for myself. I also once bought a pair of pants from Zara and my husband kept being like convinced that I had accidentally bought children's pants, but I definitely (laughs) did not. And I couldn't even get my foot into the leg hole. Oh no. It was, and he was like, that's because they're children's pants. And I was like, no, they're not. And he was like, yeah, they are. And we were like squabbling. And then I had to like open the Zara website and be like, no, look, it's women. Yes. Yes. This should be for me, but maybe, maybe like, you know, it could be a one-off, but more than likely someone messed that up. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it happens unfortunately. And, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's tech designer's fault, right? Things just don't always work out the way we want to. Other times that's how we identify, uh uh-oh, something must've happened in production and we need to go pull production from the distribution center and double check it. Mm -hmm. Um, Reviews are a double-edged sword, right? It really helps you inform you of your customer base, what they like, what they don't like, what they think is missing from your garments. Is the small too small? Is the extra large too big? You know, a lot of that feedback previously to the internet was difficult to compile, and, you know, mm-hmm. quantify, right? You you might have feedback from your individual stores, but I can't really say how often that information was being relayed to corporate and then relayed to the fit team or the design team, right? I, I'm not sure how much that actually happened back in the day, but today we have 
our finger on the pulse, right? We can get all this information really quickly. Um, you don't want to be too reactionary, right? You don't want to just all of a sudden, you know, one person says something and, and now we can never do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to find like consistency, especially when you're thinking about changing sizing, which I know we did that at ModCloth as well. Like ModCloth, absolutely. T- gets the gold medal for fitting in my eyes, like any company I've ever worked with. We took it so seriously and took so much time to analyze data. We did our own in-house fit reviews where we pulled customers in and had them try on size runs of things. And we collected pretty much as much data as any tech team I think could ever collect in America. We really, really were dedicated to the cause of making things fit as best they could given our circumstances. So, uh, you know, applause there. Really, really leading the way with reviews and listening to the customer and just really recognizing that fit is so important, especially when you are offering extended sizes and there's so little data anywhere to help guide your decisions in that way. You really have to do your own research. And so we were really dedicated, especially with the the plus size range to make that as best as it could be. But yeah, reviews, it can be good, can be bad. It just all depends on how they're utilized. More than anywhere I've worked, we cared about what the customer thought at ModCloth and we really listened. And of course, a big chunk of the reviews were stupid. <laughs> you know, it'd be like, I am a 38 triple F and I bought a medium and it was too small on the chest. And you'd be like, yeah, but if you'd read the copy that told you to look at the size chart, this wouldn't have happened. And now, like, we were not allowed to reorder anything that had less than four stars. For, uh, and it had to have at least like, oh, I don't wow. know, 20 reviews. Most things would get hundreds of reviews because the customer was mm-hmm. engaged in a way that I've never seen anywhere else. But at the same time, you get a bunch of people posting things like, I didn't like it. My package got lost. The, you know, I, it yeah. turns out I look yeah. bad in green mm-hmm. or something. It brings oh, down yes. the score and you still can't reorder it, even though other people are like, this dress changed my life. I'm I got right. a promotion at work because it looked so good or something. So so it is it is hard. And I like I love reading reviews like for comedic effect, not really from clothing as much as like yes. going on Amazon for random things and reading reviews to my husband. And, you know, the reviews oh, yeah. are always like so bizarre. Like I'm mad at Amazon or why don't you sell this on DVD or, you know, it's always so, so silly. Um, but anyway, I I. I would say that for anyone who wants to start a clothing company, you have to really embrace the review process and encourage your customer to participate because that is how you're really going to figure out who your customer is. And, you know, what's her body type? Maybe she's not pear-shaped. You're just assuming, you know. So so yes. once again, you know, that can help you like drive your business. Not that a lot of brands pay attention to that, but yes, they should. So, okay, let's get into like, a really important topic here, which we touched on in the beginning, which is plus sizing, which I to start with, I hate the term plus sizing. I feel like it, it just has this like negative vibe to it that I don't care for. Uh, I, I prefer yeah. it to be like extended sizing. I feel like when people say inclusive sizes, it's kind of condescending. Yes, I agree. Uh, I hate when people say standard and plus as the two size sets that they sell. I hate that. I mean, I have a, I have a lot of feelings about this. It just seems like the few brands that do it most of the time are doing it wrong, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's start with, okay, 
why is it challenging to nail the fit for extended sizes? Like yeah. why, what, why is this so much harder? It's harder for a handful of reasons. Uh, the first being we talked about the proportion, right? The proportion between mm-hmm. bus, waist, hip. When you get into plus sizes, there's even more variance than there are with what, you know, unfortunately, as you were saying, we call standardizing reg sizing in the industry. Like it's already inherently biased against plus size people where we're like, this is reg. And then you guys are over here, right? It's already like a dirty term in my opinion. Um, But there's so much more variance between when you get into that size range. So it makes it harder to kind of get that middle of the road fit, right? Um, we we didn't talk about it, but you know, when you talk about the difference between alpha and numeric sizing, usually with alpha sizing, two numeric sizes fit within that alpha size. So for example, a size small is traditionally a four and six. So mm-hmm. when you're fitting a size small, you tend to fit towards the sixth end of the size small range so that you know someone who's slightly smaller and would be more of a four could still fit into it like it wouldn't be giant on them but also the top end of your size small will also fit into it so when you think of it that way you're like wow this this can get really complicated right yeah (laughs) i'd never even thought of that i'd never even thought of that because it does seem like maybe some brands are actually if they're fitting at all they're fitting their size small to really fit the four mm-hmm. and maybe somewhat fit the six. Yes. Yeah. It, it absolutely, I've been in many places where that is the case, right? Or that's not even taken mm-hmm. into consideration. Like, you know, you go on and you look at a size chart, right? It's never one number. It's a range of numbers, right? Mm-hmm. You're somewhere, mm-hmm. but it's usually a two inch range. And so that's a lot when you're talking about a garment. So that's why, you know, alpha sizing is, um, you know, more widely used, it's cheaper, it's easier to do, but it also causes more issues with fit. So it's the same thing when you get into plus size, there's more of a range between like, okay, if I'm a two X, I, my bust might be a three X and my waist might be, you know, we, we see this with regular sizing as well, but it just gets, Um, like there's more variance with plus size. So it's very difficult when you're a plus woman where you're like, okay, my chest is a three X, but my, my hips are actually a one X. Like, what do I buy? Like, that's very common where you have a larger Mm -hmm. chest and then the rest of your body is a smaller size. How do you find something that fits you? It's right. 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 And so what do you, what do you do there? as the tech designer, like what, what decision would you make there? Like, I, I I know it's like, there's no easy answer, right? Yeah. It's so when you're looking at a garment and what size you should order, I always think about, first of all, is this, does this stretch or does it not stretch? Right. If it, Mm -hmm, if it does mm -hmm. have some stretch to it, you're like, okay, I have some leeway here. It doesn't necessarily have to like fit me to a T. So if I can be okay with it being slightly tight in certain areas, then we have a little bit more room to play with. If it's non-stretch, you have to go with your biggest measurement and buy into that, right? And and get to know mm-hmm. a tailor. Doesn't matter what size you are, 
find someone who can alter your clothing, whether it's done by you and it's super janky, but you make it work or you're going down the street to this like 80 year old Italian guy who has been doing it his entire life, whoever it is and whatever size you are, please, please, please find someone that can help you make your clothes fit. You will be Mm -hmm. so much happier. You'll be more likely to buy more expensive things, take them, get them altered. You'll have them forever. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, this Mm -hmm. is something I like to remind people. We talked about that sizing is new. It's a new invention. It's invention of the 20th century. So we're still getting on board with all this. And as we've discussed, if you haven't picked up already, it's so arbitrary. So stop beating yourself up, buy something that sort of fits you and get it altered to fit you or alter it yourself. Like you Mm -hmm, will be mm -hmm. so much happier so much happier with your clothes, the way you look in your clothes, what you feel in your clothes. So, you know, when we talk about plus size and every time we've done fit studies with plus customers, a lot of plus size women have these people in their corner because they have more of a need for it. Um, you know, it's, it's very, really difficult if you have such a difference between your bust and your hips, you know, you don't want to look like you're swimming in everything, right? You need it to fit your dress, right, right. you also want to feel cute and actually feel like everything fits you and you'll have more confidence that way. So, uh, more plus women tend to have tailors or people who alter their clothes in their corner because they have unfortunately more of a need for it. But I highly recommend for everybody, no matter what size you are, to to take that into consideration when you're when you're shopping ready to wear. One hundred percent. And you know, once again, going back to this idea of like spending a little bit more because you're going to make it perfect for you yes. instead of buying something for ten dollars, like really investing into it so that it doesn't feel crazy to get it altered. Exactly. You know exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, because it would be it would it would feel crazy to take a ten dollar dress from Forever Twenty One and get it fitted at the tailor. <laughs> They'd probably kind of laugh at you a little bit, yeah. but you could. You, you definitely could. could if you loved it. Absolutely. There's, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one thing that uh, a lot of people probably wouldn't guess is that you know we don't just keep grading up from size small through the extended size because that would be crazy. You would end up with super long weird sleeves and weird lengths of the body, and you know I. It would be like a Frankenstein nightmare garment. This does happen though, which is the the sad thing. And that's why when you are shopping in the plus size range, you have to be really vigilant to see like, have they been doing this for a while? Is this like an actual initiative of them? Or are they like looking at the numbers, right? You said there's so much money on the table. It's just there that is left by this plus size market and is not being filled. So maybe you have a brand that's like, oh, wow, look, there's money. I love money. Let's do it. And then they're just like, yep, just make it bigger. Because we've seen that. We saw that at ModCloth often with brands where they would agree to do plus size for us and we, we'd we give them parameters for the fit sample. Mm-hmm. Fit sample would come in. We'd put it on the model and you would just, your head would fall off. It was just unbelievable that anybody could call that a garment that someone could wear. (laughs) I know. And they would be crazy. Like we would get samples in from new brands that we were trying to get to make extended sizes for us. And like we would send them grading from your team 
mm-hmm. you know, really hold their hand through it. And then we'd get something that was like for someone who was eight feet tall or yes. <laughs> like it was just, just like, uh, okay. Like, um, uh, one thing that was really common at Modcloth, um, because our things were fitted, we use a lot of bus starts. So if you don't know, bus start is that line that's on the side of shirts that kind of goes from the side seam to your apex, your nipple. Um, <laughs> If it's positioned correctly, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes, I, I mean, I think that's a good call. Sometimes it's a weird red flag where it lands yes. under your boob mm. or on the top of it. And or you're like, way above. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's my, that is something we would see all the time oh, on first time. samples where the dart was like, oh, I don't know, like around your clavicle. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, uh we did dart surgery on the daily at Moncoff. it's very very common um uh, but that so darts are actually there to do something they're there to help shape this flat piece of fabric around your body right so if you don't have one it can be very challenging in, in the bust region and it was always a telltale sign of a company that was just taking a pattern and just making it bigger when Mm -hmm. that bus start was the same depth and length as it would be on a size small. And you're like, okay, like the dart should grade regardless um, per size. It's not a huge amount when you're looking at it, but it does change per size. And if you're doing the same dart for a size small, like a 32, 34 inch chest for someone who is a 2X, like good luck. That's not going to do anything. (laughs) It's just going to be there and look funny. So the shaping um, is completely different. And that's, that's another thing is like, you know, it's super challenging for plus size, right? Because we have such, we have different body measurements. There's a a wider range of variation between bust, waist and hip, but also there's like a lot less data out there. We don't have as much data as we have with reg sizing. And then the people who are making the patterns and doing the fittings, I mean, even goes down to tech designers. Do they even have experience with plus? You know, a lot of people don't. It's kind of a unicorn thing. And it's one thing that's helped me with my career because pretty much every place I've worked, I've worked on plus. So I have that knowledge where I can look at a pattern and be like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not going to work. Like I just look at it. But it took years and years and years of looking at the wrong thing to know, okay, that's not going to work, right? Right. So you have to be super skilled in the area. And there's just such a small group of people in the fashion industry, which is already really small, um, who have this knowledge base. So, yeah, I was reading that actually doing grading for extended sizes and designing for that is not generally covered in design school and schools are just starting now to sort of integrate it, but it's almost like you're only going to learn about it if you pursue it. It's not like a core part of the curriculum. And once again, this goes back to this idea that we're leaving all these women out in the cold, like mm-hmm. most of the women. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's nuts. It's crazy to me because we see how much this industry has been struggling and continues to struggle. And now it's like really bad, right? Like more places are going out of business. And once again, I'm just like, if you had been really honest about who you could really dress all this time, you wouldn't be in this boat. Instead of like, yes. instead of dropping so many collections all the time, how about you just design for more people? Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of times when people go into Plus, they're like, they're going after the market share. They don't really have 
the the good intentions behind it and that's mm-hmm. where things get lost and more people get frustrated right you all of a sudden you're like oh wow great you carry a size 18 now this is awesome but then you're just disappointed so i i know we talked about this before off air but it was just like if 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 there's a super group of industry people that wants to get together to launch like the best plus line ever i'm so on board um <laughs> because it can be done and it can be done super well and super right. And it can be the best thing ever, but just no one's done it yet, which really blows my mind because everything's been done at this point. Right. And well, there's such a (laughs) hole that is like gaping hole out there for a line that makes clothes in all sizes, but is also sustainable, like legitimately sustainable, not fake sustainable and, you know, like stylish at the same time. And, I don't know, just does good things for the world that like that doesn't exist. There are plenty of brands out there that are trading on this idea of being sustainable and ethical, but then they go up to like a size 10. So yeah, how, (laughs) how great is that brand? Like, what does that brand really stand for? It sounds like they're, they're assholes. And I will say, this is something I talk to people a lot about is like, it is expensive to get into plus, right. To extend sizes because you have to buy more, right? Like there's way more mm-hmm. inventory you're going to have to get behind. And a lot of brands seem like they have a lot more money than they do. So it's scary. It's a gamble. Yes. You're going to have to uh, pay another, you know, tech designer, fit technician. You're going to need, mm-hmm. you're going to need a different fit model. There's going to be a lot more fittings. You kind of can't be like, okay, well right now it's September. Uh, you know what? I'm going to launch extended sizes and they're going to deliver in December. Like, no. Because it's going to take a long time and the nature of fast fashion and everybody's desperation to make it profit and more and more money, it means that no one wants to say, hey, for a year, we're going to work on something that isn't going to bring us any money, but then in a year it will. Like, it's strange. That's the world that we work in right now. So nobody wants to say, I'm going to spend a year developing the grading. No, you know, absolutely not. Especially not in America. It's not the way we think. No, no. <laughs> like we need it now. Yeah. I mean, I have been obsessed for the past few years of starting a line like this that took like a cool, you know, more trendy aesthetic, but did it the right way in the in all the sizes. I just think it's so unfair that it's like you and I were saying, like, if you're 30 and you're cool and stylish and you happen to wear a larger size, well, good luck because yeah. you're never going to be happy with what you wear. Yeah. Like period. Exactly. Um, another thing I want to talk about, it's I feel like there are beliefs out there that are often held by people who are not actually larger sized, that there are certain things that the larger customer wants to wear versus not wear. So, you know, for backgrounds, when I joined Mod Cloth, we had a separate team that bought plus. And mm-hmm. that lasted maybe a year. I don't know. Right. And they it was it was really it was a strange situation because they were based in San Francisco, but the rest of us in buying were in LA. And we would go to market and buy stuff. And then, you know, where there were opportunities for them to tag on where they were interested, they would ask for extended sizing and they would buy it separately. And then they would buy some other things too. And we would squabble a lot because they were sort of like gatekeepers of what they felt mm-hmm. the larger sizes would want to wear, right? And ironically, the team, everybody who was on the plus size buying team was like a size zero. So like <laughs> they don't even really know, but they have these ideas like, oh, it has to have sleeve coverage. We need to cover the arms. We want a higher neckline. We want this. We want that. And I, we don't want anything that's body con or 
like sexy, like, you know, basically they were buying, they were buying with this idea that like, if you were over a size 14, you probably wanted to be like in a burqa, you know, right. <laughs> and we know that's not true. Um, what? No. <laughs> so eventually they got rid of the plus size buying team and folded it in. So like I was buying all the dresses for all the sizes and it kind of actually worked out a lot better because I was able to leverage with brands I already worked with, vendors, et cetera, to get them to add sizes and guide them through that process. And we added a lot of new stuff to the assortment that hadn't been there before, like sleeveless dresses and Mm -hmm. bodycon date night stuff and boho, like these things that we'd never been offering before because ostensibly – plus size customers didn't want this stuff. It's like so silly. I mean, do you feel that like as a a fit, like a fit technician and your experience here, do you feel that there are things that the larger size customers don't want or is that just all bullshit completely? I think it's kind of half and half. I think what's more important is that we're able to take, if if you're talking about a brand that's offering extended sizes, you have to think like it has to be okay that we make slight alterations for mm-hmm. the plus customer. Mm-hmm. I think where you fail is where you're like, obviously most companies are designing into that reg size range, right? Mm-hmm. That's number one problem. Uh, the plus customer isn't really being considered from the get go. But once you start going and fitting and realizing, okay, it's okay to have a halter top for a plus customer. You know, it's going to sell. They've sell. They sold before. They will continue to sell tank tops, whatnot. They're wearing that stuff. But you also have to be okay with making slight alterations in the style lines to help fit the body better, right? Right. So at the end of the day, you want everyone to look good in the style. So when you're trying to fit all of these rigid parameters around the style and you're like, no. Like, I don't want darts on this, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like, a lot of people aren't going to be able to fit into the garment. I think that's been a big thing. Like, there are certain people that are just super anti-dart. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but a lot of people, maybe a lot of people coming from the contemporary space feel that way. Um, but you have to allow for variances. Maybe, you know, overall, the aesthetic's going to look the same across sizes, but there might be a few differences here and there for the plus size range just to help it fit better and make that customer feel more confident in the garment. I think that's a really good call out. I've noticed, so you know the brand Aerie, right? The, yes. Okay, I think they do, of pretty much anyone else out there in the industry, one of the best jobs of being really size inclusive, showing real women, diversity mm-hmm. of models, all the things that I love. Uh, you know, it's and it's even a younger audience, which I think is interesting, but like they have fans of all ages. Like I buy bras and underwear from them. And the thing that I've seen the most negative reviews about on their site is it'll be a bra. It comes in all sizes, up to like, I don't know, maybe like a G. I'm 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 not 100 percent sure, but I'm thinking in that range. And okay. There will be reviews from people saying like, I got the size F or whatever, and the Mm -hmm. straps were like way wider and I'm really mad and that's not fair. And I feel like that is really challenging, right? Because you know from the technical side that it's going to be so much more comfortable if the straps are wider, right? Yes. 
But when you want to show all of the sizes together, which I think is what should happen, I think it's so gross that you would have to go to a different department in a department store or a different store altogether. You wouldn't be able to shop with all your friends just to get your size. So I like that, right? They're trying to do that. But then it leads to this disappointment for the customers who bought the larger sizes and the straps are wider, or maybe it's like a little bit more lined on the side or there's slightly different architecture. And like, I'm not a bra designer, but I... I can see why that would be necessary. It would have to be different or you would be uncomfortable. Like the reality is like larger breasts need more support, right? Mm -hmm. So you would want to change. You would want to change the design, but then the customers are unhappy. And so I feel like that's a challenge that a lot of brands face as well. Mm -hmm. So even the ones who are trying to do a good job. And I think it can make it more intimidating for for brands or retailers who are thinking about trying to do something like that, they're like, uh, well, we won't get it right anyway. No one will be happy. Yeah. So let's just yeah. keep making more of the other clothes. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's like, it's tough. It's hard. And that's a big reason why it is such an untapped market. At least people realize that before diving into it. You have some people that are just like, yeah, let's do it. And they, they know nothing. <laughs> it's terrible. And then you have yeah. other companies that are like terrified of going down that route of like, oh God, this is so complicated and hard. I don't even want to start it. So yeah, the, the brands that do dip their toe in the pool and are just willing to take that risk, like kudos to you. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. I think a good way to kind of combat this surprise of differences is to make sure, especially when we're talking about e-commerce, that we have rep- representations on the website within the same page. Okay, I click on this tank top. Yes, the strap width might get a little wider when we get into a few bigger sizes. I know a lot of times we would make strap widths wider to for bra coverage at Mod Club. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We know, you know, we, we would have it on the model and just the bra strap we showing and we knew this is a style where we didn't want that to happen. So there are accommodations being made, but so infrequently are there multi-size representations within the same style page. Mm-hmm. So that really where it's lacking and where websites fail in my opinion is having you know we have the size chart okay cool uh it might be like mod cloth where we have a a plus size model and a reg size model on the same page cool but give me more information you know give me videos of this garment on the body oh my god give i know a, i a love more that detailed size breakdown yeah, yeah. Like, let's Give me more information. Like we all have the technology. The technology is there to do all of this. You know, obviously it's more work. It's more work. More people have to get paid to make stuff like this mm-hmm. happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, getting a website up, getting a style ready to be launched on a website is is not super easy. There's a lot that's involved in it, but it can be done. So once again, it's kind of like a call to arms. If you're working at a company that has plus size, like, let's do this better. Like, let's have the representation. Give me the data. Give me the information. I'm not going to the mall anytime soon to try anything on. Show me. Show me what it's going to be like when I have this garment. You know, get as close as we can to having, like, a virtual reality store, which will be a thing in the the future. (laughs) Um, Right? But, like... In in the in between, give me that information. You have it. Tell me what it is, you know, and and then I'll be more than likely to buy a pair of pants from you, right? Yeah. I have. I don't know the last time I bought a pair of pants online. I hate 
buying pants online. Oh my God. It's a nightmare. It is a nightmare. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I think it's true. All of these brands need to reevaluate the way they're running their business and spend money in a different way. I feel like some, yeah. like, it's like you were saying, like some people are like, we're adding all the sizes, but it's just this like money grab, but they don't actually mm-hmm. want to like provide a good service and experience to their customer. So then they add these extra sizes, people buy it, they hate it, they return it, they never buy again. And then it's like, oh, plus size people don't buy clothes. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. not going to make them anymore. And it's must like, be it. Must be it. I know. It's just <laughs> so ridiculous. It makes it's infuriating. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to say about size or fit? Some wisdom for the audience? Um, you know, like I said, do not blame yourself. Sizing is arbitrary. Yes. When you find something that you really like, just like everyone says, buy a bunch of it because the next time you try to go to buy it, it might be different. And <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. If you're like, if you're like, this mm-hmm. is my uniform now, which is a great way to go. Buy enough to last you a couple years. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And I encourage customers to use the platforms that we have. You know, if more people are voicing what we've been talking about, like give us more data, give us more images, give us more pictures. We want to know what we're buying. The more e-commerce becomes the norm for everybody, even people like me that just want to go in and try it on, please, um, you know, just be vocal about it. Let your brands know. I think, you know, now more than ever, the, the, the space in which brands occupy, it's like we are here to serve the customer, right? It's more so than it ever has been before. Mm-hmm. So really leverage that and, and let these brands know that you identify with, that you believe in, that you want more from, you know, let them know what you want. Let them know that you want more sizing, more information, more sustainable practices, whatever that might be, because someone is listening these days, you know, what they do with it is their Mm -hmm. deal, but people are listening. So just use that soapbox to as best as you can. I agree. I think social media is, it's so strange. I mean, social media has created lots of bad things too, right? But one good thing that has Mm -hmm. come out of it is it's allowed us to yell directly at a brand. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> now, some people really listen and, you know, they react to it. Like I think about with the whole like pay up movement, brands like Gap, um, H&M, they were like, oh, my God, we're getting so much pressure on social media. Mm-hmm. OK, fine. We're going to pay you. We're going to pay our yep. factories. Right. Other brands are just like, whatever. We don't care. Here's some more yep. new stuff. We're not going to respond or do anything. And I would ask you to say like, to yourself, like, hey, if these people don't actually listen to me, should I give them any more of my money? And the answer is no, you should not. Mm-hmm. Don't give money to assholes. Yeah. And don't forget, you know, we're at, in today's consciousness, things are on the front page one day and then on page 99 the next, right? <laughs> so just don't forget, you know, if we just say we get all mad at, at Gap for not doing something and then the next day we're like, oh, wait, look, they're partnering up with Kanye West. Cool. You know, yeah. like we, can't, we can't keep doing that as consumers either. You know, we need to stick to our guns and really make sure we hold everyone's feet to the fire. Agreed. Hold them accountable. Hold the grudge. It's hard for me because I can't even hold a grudge against like people who have wronged me in my life. (laughs) I'll be like, wait, why was I mad at them? Oh, well, whatever. They should come over. You know, and (laughs) we all need to hold, don't hold grudges against people in your real life, but it's okay to hold a grudge against a brand and a retailer and and you should. Mm -hmm. 
A hundred percent. Well, thank you so much, Meredith. This was delightful. You're so welcome. Thanks again to Meredith for being such an amazing guest. Like she's so charismatic. Am I right? Meredith, if you're listening, I kind of think you need a podcast of your own. Just saying. <laughs> or come back and do another episode with me. So I would love, I would love for that to happen. For you listeners at home, is there something that you would like to hear Meredith explain? Well, drop me an email or a DM on Instagram and I'll get her on the horn and we'll make it happen. I'm not going to say too much to end this episode because it's already really long. It's one of the great things about having a podcast is you can make it as long or short as you want. I don't have to worry about commercial breaks. (laughs) Anyway, so I'll just say this. There are a lot of recurring themes that appear time and time again in these episodes as we dig more and more into the fashion industry. And one of them is greed, like all caps, G-R-E-E-D, greed. The industry is greedy, both the retailers and the brands. It's basically like, hey, sell as much stuff as possible and make sure it's as cheap as possible to make. Profit over people, profit over the planet, profit over conscience. The cheapest materials, the lowest wages, the least regard for the environment. So it's interesting to me that despite this climate of all caps greed, that only 8% of brands are offering extended sizes. Like, don't they just want money? Because they seem to show that they just want money in every other way, right? It's almost as if they consider larger people in larger clothes to somehow be more unappealing than losing the money that they could make off of selling to these customers. It's kind of like bakers who won't make a cake for a same-sex wedding. I mean, really? Your bigotry eclipses your need to make a living? I just, that never ceases to blow my mind. Just fucking make the cake, okay? (laughs) That said, I don't want to give my money to a bakery that wouldn't make a cake for a same-sex wedding. But you know what I'm saying here. The fashion industry is essentially saying, I would rather leave billions of dollars on the table than clothe anyone larger than a size 12 or 14. Just because my sizeism runs so deep, I'm so incredibly fat phobic and shallow and shitty that I would rather lose business than serve larger customers. I mean, one more reason for us to stop giving money to assholes. Honestly, if a brand doesn't make your size, fuck them. Go somewhere else. If it's a smaller brand, it's obviously probably a different issue involving minimums and factories and cash flow. But when we look at the the big players, fuck them. (laughs) If a brand doesn't have models and marketing that reflect who you are, then this brand is not for you. They don't want your money, so please don't give it to them. Once again, we will never make change in this world until companies see a decline in their revenue. Your money is as powerful as your vote. So don't vote for sizest jerks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You knew I was going to say that, right? Maybe you could even consider subscribing because then you'll never miss an episode. And please tell a friend, maybe a relative, maybe a coworker, 
maybe someone who's like a frenemy, but you still think would benefit from hearing this. <laughs> we'll take them all. Let's get more people to stop giving money to assholes, right? Do you have some feedback, an episode idea? Do you want to be a guest on Clothes Horse? Drop me a line at clotheshorsepodcast at gmail.com or DM via Instagram at clotheshorsepodcast. And by the way, thank you to everyone who has been sharing our Instagram posts and recommending us to friends. I said it before, I'll say it again. It really keeps me going. (laughs) You have no idea how much it means to me. And I feel like this week was a big week of amazing messages, emails, reposts, and really good questions. So thank you. I love all of you. If you can't get enough of podcasts, and seriously, I'm devouring podcasts. I'm like running out of podcasts to listen to now that I'm home all the time. Then check out my other podcast, The Department. I co-host with my friend Kim. You know her from our e-commerce episodes. This week and last week, we've been talking about single-use plastic and the brands and products that are leading our march away from it by giving us better alternatives. If you're a conscious consumer, you'll love this one, but I have to tell you, we have some other great ones coming up, including some extra special celebrity guests, and we're totally working on an episode about candy. (laughs) Thanks, as always, to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. I also just want to give him a special shout out because, as you know, I'm moving out to Lancaster County in a few weeks. Our new home is a hundred-year-old farmhouse with a lot of, I mean, like really strange wiring and electrical stuff going on. You know, like outlets that don't work, lights that don't work, random wires here and there. It's it's pretty exciting. Also, our landlord is Amish, so we kind of got to fix these things ourselves. Well, fortunately, not only can Dustin do all kinds of amazing sound stuff, he can also solve complex electrical riddles meaning that we were finally able to get the outlet for our refrigerator working. I mean, this was this was like a 911 emergency for us. We were like, we can't move in if we can't use our fridge, right? I'm not going to lie. There was a point when sparks were literally flying out of the wall, but you know what? He got it working. So thank you, Dustin, for being a wizard of kind of everything. Bye. Bye.